Behind every song is a voice, and every voice is a story. The journeys behind the voices brings life to the music that shapes each of us. Welcome to Behind the Tunes. I am your host, Austin Black. Together, we will explore those journeys, the journeys behind the artists that shape the landscape of today's music. Our guest today is Micah Tyler. A desire to be faithful for this musical late bloomer led to a journey beyond what he ever could have imagined. A journey shaped by ministry and a sausage truck. This is Behind the Tunes. Today with Micah Tyler, MicahTyler.com. Micah, thank you so much for being uh, here today, man. Bro, I, I mean, listen, I, I'm pumped to be here and not just because I have nothing else to do right now. That's right. That's right. <laughs> now, now, let me ask you this. Uh, speaking of nothing else to do, I was I was reading up on some different things and I saw your Twitter bio and it said that you are a board game competitor. What does that mean? I am. Are you hardcore? <sighs> I Here's the deal. I, you know, right now we're in this quarantine. I'm with my family right now. I've got three kids, and and we'll pull out board games every once in a while. And here's the deal. Like I am all about like having. I want it to be a fun experience for everybody, but like there's something in me that really wants to dominate Candyland. Like I don't want to just pass by here. Like I'm, if we're playing categories, like I'm trying to pull out everything that Webster's Dictionary has ever composed, and <laughs> I'm trying to pull, I'm pulling all the stops here, and so it's uh, it's one of those, I'm not, I'm not one of those guys who's just gonna get crazy aggressive and hurt somebody, um, but at the same time, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm in it to win it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm I just, I love playing. That's, that's the main thing. I love, it's the love of the game. All right, let me ask you this. I come to Micah Tyler's house, all right, and we're yeah. gonna play board games. What are we gonna play? Yeah. Okay, um, you know what? We're gonna start off with a little balderdash. You ever, you ever balderdash? Before? I've never balderdash. Oh my gosh! There's there's an online version of this. It's super fun. Like you can get it on your phones and stuff. Um, I, it's it's blank on me right now. But but basically, uh, there's a word that there's just like this crazy word that no one's ever heard of before. That's like deep inside of the the annals of all the dictionaries. And everyone has to make up a definition, and then you read all of those definitions along with the real definition, and then everybody guesses. So you're trying to make it sound like you know what you're talking about, um, and then whoever get, tricks the most people gets something. So like a, that's that's a good little like palate cleanser. That's a good thing to kind of get things started and kind of kind of get get things rolling and stuff. We may even move into some Uno or Phase Ten, like not necessarily just board games. Don't 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 get to let that part of it trick you here. Like we're gonna play some cards, have some fun. We may move into some categories. We may fly over into. I mean, listen, I I also want to be a good host here too. So I want to find out like what's your what's your your weapon of choice and like let, let's let's play your turf too. Like let's have some fun. It's a it's a it's a, a gathering experience, I guess. <laughs> there you go. Uh, let me ask you this: Is there a game that your family refuses to play with you now? Uh, no. I, I, That's here's good. The deal. I'm not trying. I I I try not to just get completely aggressive aggressive with everybody to where they i 
but I, I like to, and also I don't want, I don't want to just like burn a game. And so I'll just, you know, play coy a little bit and just beat them enough to where I can feel good about it, but also let them think they had a chance at the same time. I love it. We're here with Micah Tyler, board game extraordinaire. <laughs> now you're originally from Texas, still in Texas. So uh, have yeah, you man. always been in Texas? I, I was born and raised in the little town of Buna, Texas, and I have never lived outside of 77612. Now, Buna, is that, I know it's, it's kind of down the Beaumont area, kind of south, kind of southeast yeah. Texas, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Now, yeah. is that, um, what was school like? There's a small school, a small community? Small school, small community. Like, we're not even a city. Like, we're an unincorporated township, so we don't have, like, a mayor or anything like that. Like, it's, it's pretty, pretty. Uh, you know, I wouldn't call it Mayberry because there's crime here. Um, <laughs> but, but we're 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 it, here's the deal. Like it's it's really like you know everybody. Uh, there's we don't have like a Walmart or anything. We have two dollar stores. So if you add those both together, it comes up to be like one thirteenth of a Walmart. <laughs> so that's kind of our pride and joy. Um, but yeah, man. Like I grew up playing sports and hanging out in this community and know everybody and so it's you know it's 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 all we've ever known and so we literally just a week like the first week of march um we moved into our new house that we just built um next to my parents so like the roots are very deep here now i think we're kind of too late to to leave oh that's great now did you grow up i guess in that small community were you playing were you playing music in in your church and things growing (laughs) up no, I actually was a late bloomer. So I, I would sing like, you know, like in like the kids choir and like, like, you know, for Christmas programs and stuff like that. When I was a kid, like when they do like a Easter program and they had like all the kids get up there and sing Jesus mm-hmm. loves me. Like I would do that kind of thing, but not, nothing, you know, really it, that that's one of the big, the, the tougher things of living in a, in a small town like Buna is that, you know, any kind of creative talent is, is kind of one of those things that like, you know, really doesn't get fostered and, and people don't know what to do with around here. Cause when you graduate from high school, you know, you just go get a job at a plant or maybe you go get a college and you go to college and then you can get a degree so you can get a better job at a plant. <laughs> so, um, for, for me, when I was 17, um, God just moved powerfully in my life and, and I, I felt this calling to be a youth pastor. So I actually became a youth pastor right out of high school, um, 18 years old, became a youth pastor at this little church. I was actually a youth director. And so it was a way, way less pressure. I, I, apparently the difference between a youth pastor and a youth director is like a youth pastor, like preaches sermons and like takes kids on mission trips and like really hardcore discipleship stuff. A youth director, from what they told me, I, I think I was just supposed to feed them pizza and make sure they don't tear <laughs> things off the wall. <laughs> so it's like, you're going to pay me for that? Great. So I showed up. And it was it was fun because for me it was it was super low key like it wasn't there was not a ton of pressure and stuff and so I really got to just like learn how to to teach and to to, to preach the word but also like how to love kids and have relationships and like you know just build that mentorship and stuff and so I kind of got to grow up alongside of these kids which is which is kind of fun but at twenty I uh, I wanted somebody to lead worship for the youth group so I went and bought a guitar. Um, this like nicked up guitar from the shop and, and hoping that one of the kids in the youth group may pick it up and learn how to play it. Um, and none of them wanted to. And so I ended up like bought a book because no one in my family is musical at all. So I bought a book and just kind of started like learning chords. Um, and it turned into like me leading worship and like leading a couple songs and writing a few songs that went along with my sermons, like funny songs, something like that. 
And then it turned into like youth pastor buddies of mine calling me up saying, hey, man, I hear you're like leading worship for your youth group. Can you come play at our camp and stuff? And which it was always kind of backhanded because they was like, can you come do that? And I was like, oh, my gosh, you're asking me to come play at your youth camp. Yeah, of course I would. I'd love that. And they said, okay, great, because we can't afford to like bring in like a real band or anything. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, well, uh, okay. So I was like, I'll still come. So I started doing that and, uh, you know, got married when I was 20, like I was started a family and so i've been doing youth ministry for nine years um and at 27 the lord just kind of uh, again kind of radically moved in our hearts and just kind of led us to to feel like that that the next step for us to be faithful to him was to um step out and do music and it wasn't because we had a tour bus picking us up or a label or you know anyone even really caring about what what my music was at the time it was just this calling to be faithful to step out and just trust the lord in that way so we ended up selling over half of what we owned we bought a single-wide mobile home trailer, and I started doing odd jobs. I uh, taught substitute, I substitute taught at an elementary school, um, and I drove a sausage delivery truck a couple of days a week, um, which is which is great to have on my resume right now because that's like that's an essential job. <laughs> <laughs> if this music thing doesn't work out, like I've got something on the old LinkedIn profile that I can go back to. You got <laughs> so uh, you got options. I got, I, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's good to have options. And so uh, I can go pick up the old keys and uh, drive around, around Southeast Texas delivering sausage again. But uh, yeah, did that for a few years. Um, and, and, you know, whatever it took to, to make ends meet, we had two kids at the time. We have three now. Um, but yeah, we were just trying, again, it, it was never one of those things where like we were seeking out to, to be able to be famous or to have a song on the radio or anything like that. Like we just kind of felt this feeling like if we wanted to be faithful, um, it was stepping out and trusting Jesus in this way. And someone told me one time, you know, we'll never stand before the Lord and him say, well done, that good and successful musician hmm. um, or, 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 you know, successful podcaster or teacher or whatever, like even pastor. It's like it's faithful servant. Like mm-hmm. that's what we're trying to do. And so for our family to be a faithful servant, it felt like really stepping out in like this radical way and just trusting Jesus. And so nine years later, um, we just moved out of that single-wide mobile home trailer to move into this house. Um, it has been through hurricanes. It has been through uh, us bringing uh, our little boy Seth home six years ago. Our kids learned to ride bikes in that yard. Like all these crazy, incredible memories that we spent, you know, learning how to trust Jesus even more in that mobile home. And so we're we're trying to do the same thing in this house that we're doing there, which is just to continue to be faithful. It's a fascinating story. And again, everybody has a different story. And, and it seemingly none of them are less fascinating. You, you step out, you leave a full-time ministry job. How long were you at the church? Um, I, I had started off the first church. I was, at, I was a youth director. I was there for three years, and then I became a youth pastor at another church in town full-time for six years. So I'd been at the church for six for that one. Okay, so you step out, and, and you leave this full-time position, and you're substitute teaching, you're driving a sausage truck, and you're playing music— <laughs> Um, at what point did you did I guess you you begin to realize? Wait a minute, this this could lead to uh, not necessarily better, but something bigger than I ever imagined. <laughs> it it was it was one of those wild things to where like <clears throat> I, I I will say this I, I feel very confident in knowing we we were I was so afraid to try to get ahead of what the Lord was doing like like I I I never wanted I, I always just. And to this day, it's hard for me. And here's the deal. I'm all about, like, people working hard and hustling and stuff. But it's another thing whenever you don't trust the Lord's timing enough 
to be still and know that he's God and like let him do his thing. Um, and, and, and forget that the Lord is like a gentleman who opens doors for us, you know? Uh, but instead, like, I, I just never wanted to be that person who like shook your hand and like handed you a CD kind of guy. Right. And so we, we always erred on the side of like being very cautious of that. And like, it's better to be invited to the table than to take your own seat. And so we really like, it, it wasn't like we were just like sending a, I, I, and here's the deal. Part of some people's story and how God moved was them sending out their records to every label in town and like beating down the doors until somebody gave them a meeting. And listen, I'm not trying to negate those those things of, of being something that is useful and that God can use and stuff. But for us, and we just kind of felt like it was like, I'm going to learn on the job here a little bit. I didn't want to jump into a situation that I wasn't ready for. And so the Lord was kind enough to protect us and and let us kind of figure things out on the way. Well, but the local Christian radio station, this little station in Beaumont, Texas, is 30 miles from my house. Um, I, the guy who was the, the DJ and kind of owned the station um, was a, lived in Buna. And so I just reached out to him and said, hey, man, I'm doing this now. Um, full-time. I, I don't know exactly what I'm doing, but I made this little demo CD. It's got eight songs on it. If And I thought this was like going to seal like seal the deal like I was giving him the goods here. I was like, <laughs> bro, if you'll listen to this CD and tell me what you think, I'll take you to Chili's. <laughs> I thought like, how can someone like pass this up? Like, like the appetizers on me. That's right. And so we, <laughs> I was like, I'm not even going to change at all. Like you get chip and dip. I don't care. Whatever you want. Like, let's do it. Uh, no dessert, please. Um, and so I, I ended up, uh, he said yes. And so he listened to the music. He, he we ended up meeting at a chili <laughs> in Stillsby, Texas. Uh, and he told me what he thought about the music, and he was like, man, I think the song is good. I, I really like this one right here. This one kind of feels like this. And then I had this song called New um, that probably no one could even find if they tried right now, but it's this old song off of a, a, this demo CD I made in 2010. And uh, and he just said, this song sounds good on the radio. And I was like, oh, my gosh, do you think it would? He goes, I've been playing it all weekend. Have you not heard it? Wow. What I didn't have the heart to tell <laughs> Jeff was, was that that signal from that little radio station only made it about 20 miles, and I live 30 miles away. <laughs> so I had to drive to the Walmart parking lot to hear KLBT play. <laughs> and so I, I just then I just kind of kept finding ways to make my way around Beaumont Civic and hear it, and I started hearing it on the radio. It kind of turned into um, people really just, like, being super, super, like, responsive to it. It was, it was, it was neat because, like, you know, the local guy, like, this is just me kind of playing around these churches and stuff. And, uh, and and people were digging the music, so he started playing a couple songs on the radio. I kind of turned into the local opener, um, and that turned into me uh, uh, kind of being the guy whenever there'd be a national tour come through and they wanted, like, an opening slot. They would call me up and say, hey, would you do, like, a couple of acoustic songs or, you know, whatever. So I ended up opening up for bands like Building 429 and um, Blanca and uh, Sanctus Real and a couple of different bands, and then I opened up for Phil Wickham. Um, and Phil was so, everybody who I opened for was so nice to me. Like really, we, I was, I was really blown away by how, how kind everybody was, but Phil like invited me after the show to come sit down and talk. And like, we, he just kind of poured into me and just asked questions and stuff. And I ended up, uh, getting to go out on some shows with him. And, and eventually he introduced me to his label and to his manager and to his booking company. And now that's my label and manager and booking company. And so, you know, another one of those things where, like, the Lord just kind of works his, his, his own mysterious ways out here. I love it. Again, we're here with Micah Tyler. You can find all about it at MicahTyler.com. 
one thing I, I love to hear from, from musicians is they're out playing. Do you have a crazy road story that, that you're just out and you're like, I can't believe this happened um, <laughs> while I was out and about? Uh, so, so before I signed a record deal, I'm, I'm, I'm hot. Like I'm really traveling a lot and playing a lot around Texas. Like Texas is just so big that I was playing 175, 200 days a year, um, and never leaving the state. Like I was just able to really like canvas this whole thing. So I found myself getting a phone call from a referral, from a referral, from a referral to play over in Alice, Texas. So Alice is over near, uh, Corpus Christi. So it's kind of South Texas. So I get there. And I uh, don't really know what to expect. I got two band guys with me who's going to, like, play, you know, just kind of back me up on some stuff and everything. And we, we get into this town, and no one told us anything about the church. Well, I knew that we were kind of cl- closer down to the border a little bit. But and so I knew there would be, like, some definitely, like, a multi, multi-ethnic crowd and stuff. But I get there, and I'm not even kidding at all. I would say 80% of the people in that room were over the age of 75 and <laughs> – and also English was their like second language. And so like it was, so I get up there and I'm leading worship for like this revival thing. And I had a buddy of mine who's preaching it. So I get up there and I'm like leading Hillsong songs and like these, <laughs> they have no idea what's happening. Like they're just like, they, and they're so sweet. Like they took us to this, one of the most incredible meals we ever had. Like it was so, so nice, but like bless their hearts. They just had never heard these songs before. So the, I, at the very end of the set, I just like switched gears and I played like open the eyes of my heart. And all of a sudden they just came alive. Like they knew <laughs> the 20 year old worship songs and they're like singing out and stuff. I was like, oh, this is going to be a good week. So we end up finishing up that, that night. We go to a restaurant, had one of the best um, Mexican restaurant meals I've ever had in my entire life. Like it's unbelievable. And I'm going, what a what a day. And so they said, hey, we're going to put instead of putting you guys in a hotel, we wanted to give you guys your own house. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, we're going to put you out in the ranch house. I'm like, the ranch house, that sounds, that sounds awesome. So we start driving outside of the Alice city limits, and it just gets, gets dark. There's no more street lights. There's no more security lights. We're just driving into the darkness. And, like, I'm in a car with a guy, and then my band guys are behind us in a car. A guy from the church is driving me out there. Well, all of a sudden, he turns down onto this, like, little less, like, more rural road, and then he turns onto a more rural, like, rural road. And then we turn onto this dirt road, and we're just driving into the night here. At this point, I'm going, like, where are we going? And he goes, hey, man, would you mind hopping out and getting this fence? And I was like, "Uh, yeah. So there's a gate. So I opened up the gate, and they drove through, and the next car behind me drove through. I shut the gate, locked it, got back in the car. He goes, you didn't see any hogs, did you? And I was like, hogs? What are you talking about? He goes, yeah, there's wild hogs out here, and uh, they're traveling in packs, and they'll kill you. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know I was coming up on like a pig gang out here or whatever. And I was like, what? What are we talking about? And I kind of laughed a little bit. He goes, No, I'm serious. He said, This is his direct quote. He goes, No, I'm serious. They'll kill you dead. And you're on their territory. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, really, like, I'm just going, like, I don't even. I'm on their turf. Like, I don't know if that. <laughs> so we drive another like five minutes. Well, there's another gate. And he goes, Would you mind getting mm-hmm. that gate? I was like, I kind of would. <laughs> I, like, I kind of would mind getting that, get this gate. So I ended up hopping out like really fast and like doing the gate. And then he drove through, the car drove through. I locked it back up. Well, then we pull up to this house. Um, There's like a porch light on and stuff. And I'm looking at it going like, oh, okay, this looks a little, it's a little sketch, but like, yeah, maybe it's nice from the inside. Well, there's this giant, they told us there was a swimming pool at this place. Well, it, to be fair, it was this big, gigantic septic tank 
Mm-mm. that they had just like buried halfway. And so it was like this big concrete thing. And so like, there's a pool over there. I was like, that's not a pool. But I was like, okay. And then as we're walking to the porch, he goes, watch out for rattlesnakes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, no. I thought coming to Discovery Channel all of a sudden. So then, and here's the clincher though. So we get there, he opens it up, opens up the door, turns on the light, and the first thing he does is stomp his foot. And he goes, well, shoot. And I went, what? He lift up his foot, and bro, I'm not even kidding. There was a scorpion, Mm-mm. and he said, I told them to spray. They must not have done it. I'm not kidding at all. In in the 15 minutes that he took us around the house, I saw no less than 20 scorpions in that house. He is, like, stomping them out. I'm seeing them on the bed. <laughs> so I just go, like, what is, the, what, is, what is happening right now? And so uh, – so he ends up like leaving us some like sandwich meat. He just goes like, "All right, guys, here's some like you know sandwiches. You guys will make something here, and uh, I'll pick you guys up. We'll go to breakfast in the morning. So sleep tight, and uh, I'll see you guys later. Okay, be careful going outside the gates because because of the hogs." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> so he gets in his car. He drives away. So I, at this point, I'm just like my skin is crawling. I don't know what to do. We end up, the three of us get three wooden chairs from the kitchen table, and we are squatted on top of them, just like perched on top, trying to watch TV and take our mind off of it. And we finally just looked at each other and just said, we can't do this. So we ended up, praise the Lord, there was a Holiday Inn 15 miles away that we hopped in the car, avoided all the treacherous, <laughs> we were like the Oregon Trail trying to get out of there. And uh, we didn't get dysentery. We made our way out. And uh, stayed at a hotel. And the thing is, the next day, they were like, they felt so bad about it and everything. And I told them, I was like, no, it's okay. You know, we had one guy who, like, he was scared that if he got stung, he was going to go into, like, anaphylactic shock or something. And so, anyways, the next day to make it up to us, they cooked a goat. (laughs) (laughs) We feasted like kings the next day. And so, uh, you know, I I would say that that's one of those moments where I'm going, like, I stepped away from youth ministry to do this. And so, but you know what? Now I'm getting to tell a story on a podcast and I survived, so it all worked out. Yeah, dude, forget that. You you left a job with the sausage truck for that one, man. That that, that sausage truck is looking pretty good at that point. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I was scared those hogs were going to smell the sausage. That's them. right. That was the problem. You, you <laughs> traveled like their, something that's there. right. You traveled their, their family all over the state of Texas. They're, they're going to sniff you out. That's it. Word traveled. That, the, the pig gang was coming after that and knew it. That's so. Oh my goodness, that's a that's an old timer. Um, well, you you say you didn't you didn't really get into music until like your twenty or so in your twenties. Were yeah. were you into music at all, like growing up? Oh, here's the deal. I loved music. Like like it, it has n- the ability to play it was was non-existent. But golly, like my my family. My mom grew up listening to like doo-wop music and Elvis Presley and like funk and soul kind of things. And then my dad was like into like hair metal and like uh, Queen and like Jesus Christ Superstar, like all this kind of crazy kind of stuff. And so it was a weird melting pot in our house. But like if my dad was working on the truck, he had the radio going. If my mom was vacuuming the house, we had the radio going. Like there was just constantly music around us. And so from a young age, I just I loved it, man. It's like I, I was I would save my money up and go buy, you know, a tape or go buy a single C D or whatever. And so uh for for me, like I was constantly and because my family had such a weird diversity in music taste, like I picked up on all of it. So I it was nothing for me to have a, a you know, a mixtape with Willie Nelson and Boys to Men and, you know, 
uh, Elvis Presley and Stevie Wonder and you know all that stuff kind of back to back because I just loved music so much. And for me, it, you know, whenever I first started playing it and started writing it, it was super fun because like I I can look back now and and not there's a whole lot of really good music that I was making back then, but like I can already hear like some of the influences of just like music that I listen to. And so uh, as right right now like we're we're in the final stages this this week we're actually April 24th. Um, my brand new album, New Today, comes out. Um, and even now, like I'm listening to the 11 tracks on this record, and I can point back to the Stevie Wonder riff that I remember hearing, and it just changed me. And I remember listening to my dad's record player and listening to the Thriller album and feeling that bass line and being able to point to some tracks, being like, yeah, that's why that's why we put that in there. Like I, I'm getting to make the music that kind of made me growing up, which is just super fun for me. And and, and, and also, like I, I think that I also can kind of turn off the technical side of my brain. Like if I... If I learn how to play all this music first, just knowing how I am, I love knowing how things work and stuff. And so for me, I think that I would, I'd be too, you know, robotic about some of the music making. But for me, because I just learned how to just feel music before I started making it, um, I still love music that makes me feel something. So it's, it's just important to me when I'm writing a song or when I'm, you know, putting something together um, that, it, that it feels like something that's just important to me. With all those different influences, this is kind of a fun question. If if there is anybody, dead or alive, that you could open for, who would you choose? Oh God! Oh my goodness! Um, <laughs> here's the deal. I probably, golly, probably Ray Charles. Okay. Um, it's it's a tie. It's between honestly, it's Ray Charles and Garth Brooks. Like those are the two guys that for me, um, both because Garth is such an entertainer like as far as like just being able to take 70,000 people in an in a giant arena or in a stadium and make them all feel like they're on the front row like that's such a gift um and then Ray Charles there's not a whole lot more emotion that you can stuff into a vocal than when you listen to just you know when his voice breaks in uh, to to just some of these just like super you know just sad songs or whatever he's writing it just cuts me to the core. So half the reason I would want to go and open for these people is because I, I, then I, I wouldn't have to buy a ticket. I could just go to the show and watch them <laughs> perform afterwards. That's, that's kind of how I feel. Like, honestly, like I, 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 the thing is, a lot of the Christian music influences that I had growing up are not really – well, growing up and, like, even now, like, I'm getting to go tour with these guys. And so half of the excitement for me to go out on tour – um, is getting to perform my songs, but also getting to watch these guys night after night. I mean, guys like Shane and Shane, uh, uh, Big Daddy Weave, uh, Sh- Mercy Me, like these Phil Wickham, like guys who I just sang their songs in church or just loved their music or like saved up and, and downloaded their song on iTunes or whatever. Like I'm getting to go hear these guys make this music live in the room. Um, and, and for me as being someone who just loves how music makes me feel, um, it, I, I, I feel like it's one of the best jobs I could ever have in the world. Was there a particular point where you got the opportunity to play for somebody or open, uh, play with somebody or open for somebody where you're sitting there with them and you're thinking, my goodness, I'm a long way from Buna right now. <laughs> so, so, okay, full circle here. So the first Christian CD, like the full CD that I ever obsessed over um, was Shane and Shane's original Psalms record. Mm-hmm. And, and and for people who have never heard that, it is just, they are two of the best singers, not just in Christian music, but two of the best singers I've ever heard. Live in a room, it's just, un, it's just magnetic in a way that I can't describe. But I saw these guys 
when I was a youth pastor at a youth ministry conference when I was 19, it's one of the reasons why I went and bought the guitar because I knew how much that music moved me when they led worship. And also one of the reasons why I started playing the guitar was because I watched these guys do their thing, and it just really impacted me. So I bought that Psalms record, and I'm not lying. I bought that actual CD, like the actual plastic CD, like six or seven times because mm-hmm. I, kept we- I kept wearing them out. I, w- I would buy it, and I would go put it in my car and listen to it. And then when I got home, I'd pull it out of my truck. I'd walk and put it in my CD player. I'd pull out there. I'd put it in my laptop. I'd, take it, I'd let a friend borrow. I'd get it back. And I was just scratching them up because I would just carry them everywhere I went. So I, I literally wore these CDs down. And so um, long story short, I ended up – okay, so here's the crazy part of the story. So I, I got this – I opened up for Phil Wickham. He was very nice to me, and then he invited me to go open up for him again in Tyler, Texas, nine months later. Well, that was outside of the 15-mile radius of Beaumont, Texas' radio station. <laughs> so no one in Tyler knew who I was. So I show up in Tyler, Texas. And long story short, 15 minutes before the show, I find out we knew that Phil's plane had been delayed. They had mechanical issues. He had a switch flight. Well, there was a storm cloud sitting on DFW Airport that kept his plane from landing at all. Mm. So I found out 15 minutes before the show started that I had to do a um, Phil Wickham concert without Phil Wickham there, <laughs> um, which is as bad as what you would think that it would sound like. So I ended up. I end up showing up. I end up getting there. I, I play the show because at the end of the day, man, I'm trying to be faithful. Like I, I knew right. that there's a bunch of people in that room that are disappointed. They they took off time from their jobs and saved up money, did their whole thing to come and buy a ticket to watch Phil Wickham, and he's not there. So I, I end up playing this show. I just played my guts out. Like I played every song that I knew, just tried to love those people well. And the next day I get a phone call from Phil's road manager asking me what I did the night before. And I was like, I don't know. I just like just tried my best to – make the best of a situation and stuff. He said, well, we just keep getting messages and phone calls like to, for, for that, that people just love what you did last night. Like, we'd like to do more things with you. He said, if there's ever anything that you want to do with us, let us know. Like, if you see something on the calendar, you're like, hey, I could come and do that with you. He said, let us know. We'd love to have you. Mm. Well, what he didn't know was that Phil Wickham and Shane and Shane had done a Christmas concert every year for like five or six years. And the last two years, my wife and I had made it a Christmas tradition with some friends to go to that show. Like we bought tickets, sat in the chair, watched those shows for two years in a row. So it was like October. And I said, Hey, if you guys have not found an opener for that Christmas tour, I'd love to be considered. So all of a sudden I find myself going out on tour, my first ever tour, first ever time I was ever like, you know, successful, like succession of nights in a row with the same artist kind of thing um, was with Phil Wickham and Shane and Shane, the guys who like ruled my ears for like a couple of years. And uh, <laughs> the embarrassing wow. thing was, so Shane Bernard is one of those guys who, like, that's the lead Shane, not not Ann Shane. This is just Shane. <laughs> and so he uh, he he uh, he was one of my favorite songwriters and vocalists, and like he was just the guy. So like being in a room with him and talking to him was so strange. And I had kind of rehearsed and practiced for years, like what I would say if I was ever <laughs> in a room with him. So like like for real, this was like eleven years of me like writing letters to my like like if I ever got a chance to talk to him this is what I just want to tell him how much it means to me all the kinds of so like I found my first moment we're at baggage claim getting our bags I had to one point just say I just want to let you know like it means so much that I'm getting to come out here with you guys like it's, it's it, like you have no idea how big of a deal this is thank you for taking me out nice little moment he said oh that's great but I didn't get to say everything I wanted to say so all of a sudden the next three or four times that he and I were alone I felt like I had to just like confess to him how much he meant to me so about so finally we're like they were like four or five days into this tour and like we get in a car together 
<laughs> I just turned to him. I was like, I just want to tell you, man, that's Psalms record. He goes, hey, you don't have to do this. You're here already. <laughs> and it was and he and he laughed and it was not like it, he wasn't saying it in a mean way but i could tell like i was kind of weirding him out because i just felt like i had to and i was like oh you know what i i guess i am here already and so uh anyway but yeah dude i still do that i still find myself walking by bart miller's dressing room and like i'm humming i can only imagine to myself like these are songs that like my youth group did sign language to that song like these guys have marked events in my life and in my spiritual growth and some of the reason i love music is because these guys made it first and so dude it, there, i'm constantly sitting in a room going what in the world is happening right now and so the fact that now i get to get on stage and people know who i am before i walk in the room outside of that 15 mile radio radius um it's it's still just a dream come true that's still hard for me to understand a lot of the time we want to take this opportunity to share the song Amen off of Micah's newest album titled Nude Today. Then stick around for more behind the tunes for a humbling moment at Dollywood at the hands of the very, very kind Mark Call of Casting Crowns. We'll discuss Micah's songwriting process and the struggle with paper napkins. But for now, enjoy Amen by Micah Tyler. When I about where I would have been without you I'm so glad it's a place I never have to be Even if I tried I couldn't count the ways Not enough for words for me to ever say Just how good, how good you are to me Singing like Amen
Jacob, do you have a most embarrassing on stage moment? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Let me think. Golly, like I've got a, I've, I have a few. Um, okay, this was this was one of those kind of like, yeah. So so I <laughs> I I'd, I'd never owned a really nice guitar before. Well, I've been doing music now for like three or four years, traveling full time. And dude, this church gave me this really sweet Taylor guitar, and it was, like, mm. it was so nice. It was a local church; they believed in me. It was kind of they they kind of adopted our family for Christmas because they just you know they knew our story and stuff. And so they bought me this like really nice Taylor guitar, and I'm going like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And so they gave it to me. I could not wait to go and travel with it. Couldn't. So the first the first weekend that I had this guitar, I show up to a church. And uh, and it's in uh, uh, Marshall, Texas, and I get up there, and we lead worship. And at the very end of it, I play this really – it's a song called Wretch No More. It's just me and the acoustic guitar, and we create this I'm, – I'm playing on this brand-new guitar, and I'm so excited about it. And I'm just – I'm just playing it, and it's just – it feels nice, and I get through, and I strum that guitar. And, like, I pray, and it's this really somber moment, and the church is just very pensive and quiet – and I put the guitar on the stand, and as I walk away, I forget that I'm not wearing wireless in-ears, <laughs> that I'm wearing a wire, and I'm hooked to this box, and the box is sitting next to the guitar. So I'm, I get <laughs> about 10 feet away, and I feel my neck just kind of pull backwards a little bit, and I hear one of the worst crashing sounds I've ever heard in my entire life to see my brand-new guitar sprawled on the ground that I just oh. knocked over because I it was connected to this wired thing and knocked the whole thing over. And the church, I, I, I'm immediately trying to find out who to blame for this, <laughs> my brand-new guitar on the ground. And then I, I, I realized that I am I am the culprit because I've got person. a wire attached to my head still right now. So that was, that, was, that was kind of fun. Now, I've got a more embarrassing moment off stage. Okay. Um, that was that 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 was uh and here's the deal he would never remember this and I, I'm excited to tell him this story at some point because we've done a couple of shows since and I haven't had the courage to kind of bring this back up to him, but um so I went and I I, I did uh I played at Dollywood at this uh, Rock yeah. the Smokies event and so you know I never been a moment I had just I had just went number one on radio which was just such a crazy deal and I'm still trying to figure out like what that means and stuff and so my song different I just hit Christian radio and it's doing okay. And I go and I play this event. So the way I have it set up is they have all these different um, stages all over the theme park. And you kind of get your own stage for like three shows. So I'm on this like back porch kind of thing. And I made a joke how like this was Dolly's old house actually. And it, it wasn't. <laughs> but I, so I'm like, I play my little set. And it, it was amazing because people knew who I was. And like, they're like singing along to even songs that weren't on the radio. And I'm going like, what in the world is happening? So I'm already kind of feeling myself a little bit. I get through the three shows. Well, I also uh, work with Compassion International, and they ask me, hey, would you mind? So at these other theaters, Jordan Flees was at a theater, and me and Jordan are buds, so I talked to him that day. And for King and Country, we're at a theater. Well, at this other theater, they shared a theater together. It was um, it was Casting Crowns and Mac Powell. So they're together this one theater. It's like the big theater. And so uh, they said, would you go and, and give the Compassion pitch in between Mac Powell and Casting Crowns set? And I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. So I show up, and I'm kind of nervous. I'm backstage because Mark Hall, former youth or current youth pastor. So I'm going, like, we have things in common. Like, this is a guy who, when they were opening for Chris Tomlin and Stephen Curtis Chapman in Houston, Texas, playing at the Toyota Center, I bought tickets to go watch that show. And then he invited all the youth pastors during intermission or before the show to come and say, hey, like, in the locker room for the, the Houston Rockets. So I got to, like – 
listened to Mark tell his story and like shook his hand. I think I got him to sign a guitar pick that I gave to my youth group and stuff. So I'm like going like, oh, this is going to be a cool moment for me to get to meet this guy. So I'm standing backstage where all of a sudden Mac Powell walks by and he looks over at me. He goes, are you Micah? And I went, oh, my gosh. Mac Powell knows who I am. And so he told me, I said, yeah, I am. He goes, man, great music. And he was so nice. And so we're just like talking and stuff. And I'm going, wow, I'm really a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm I'm going like, people know who I am. Like people, people at Dollywood and Mac Powell. (laughs) So like, I'm just feeling so confident. And so I, I go up there and do the compassion moment. And then God moved powerfully. And like, we got all these kids sponsored. And like, they're running out of the room to go find more packets. And I'm going like, what an incredible day. So as I'm leaving, I look over and I see casting crowns in their dressing room. And the guy who's like walking me over goes, all right, you ready to go to your car? And I'm like, hey, hold on one second. I'm going to go say hey to these guys. So I walk <laughs> over to Captain Crown thinking like, surely they'll know who I am when I walk in. They're going to be so happy that I came over to talk to them. And so I walk in the room and I just said, uh, hey, guys. And they kind of look over and they're like, oh, hey, man. And and they were so nice. And I just said, uh, I said hey, I'm, I'm Micah Tyler. And they said, uh, what, what was your name again? <laughs> I oh. said, oh, it's, uh, it's uh, Micah Tyler. And they're like, oh, it's great, Micah so are you a are you a speaker? Because I just got to do the compassion thing, okay? <laughs> and I said, I said, uh, no. I said, no. Actually, I'm an artist. And and this is Mark Hall's response. And he was not being mean at all. This is just him being very like he's looking me around the eye and he just goes, well, what kind of artist? And I just, and I and all I could say was I just said, music kind. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know what to say. And he just goes. Well, that's great. That's really great. Like, like, way to go, buddy. That's great. Oh, you the music, and I was like, okay, I'll see you guys later. And they're like, I, I left. And here's the thing. But, but do you know what? Do you know what I got out of the whole thing? Two things. Number one, I learned to never believe my own press. Never, never to trust. You know, the Bible says that the heart, that the fool trusts in his own heart. You know. Mm-hmm. And so, like, my heart was telling me, like, bro, you, you are like, you're something right now. Like, you can go talk to whoever because, you you know, people are going to know. Like, it's this whole thing. Um, so, number one, I always try to guard my heart against any kind of pride, those kind of things. And that was a great lesson in, in learning that. But the other thing was, dude, it, Mac Powell was so nice. And, and, and those guys from Casting Crowns are so nice. But here's the thing about the guys from Casting Crowns. They're not watching a chart trying to, to, to figure out, like, who's the next guy that they need to watch out for or, or whatever. This is just a guy who loves Jesus, loves his family, makes music. Um, and dude, every time I've talked to him since then, I don't think that he remembers meeting me. And I hope he doesn't. I really hope that he doesn't remember meeting <laughs> me backstage at Dollywood. Um, but since then, like he's been so kind, so nice. We, we've had multiple conversations since then. And, uh, and, and it made me go like, man, I never want to be somebody. And like, dude, Mac Powell, I think is just one of those guys who's like the grandfathers, one of the grandfathers of our industry, like modern contemporary christian music he's one of the guys who like he the forefathers the better word grandfather sounds like yeah. I'm, I'm kind of, that sounds worse I'm, i meant forefather like he's one of those guys man like has been doing this for 30 25 years in our industry and just continues to make impact over and over again and and 
but it, I think that for him, he's just one of those guys who just like cares about young artists and stuff. And I think the Cats and Crowns guys do too. I've heard incredible stories about the way that they have guys out on tour and the way that they just invest in every stagehand and every opener and every merch volunteer that comes into those doors and stuff. But it really made me go, man, I, I want to be a guy who's not like looking over his shoulder at who else is coming, but like being able to just be kind to the people that are around me. And so, yeah, what what was a very embarrassing situation for me, They, I'm sure that they don't remember at all. Uh, and hopefully at some point I'll be able to tell a good story to them one day. Oh, that's a great story. Here's, here's the third thing you should learn from that. Quit while you're ahead, man. Quit while you're ahead. <laughs> God's, God's saying, what's he doing? What's he doing? He's, Look, he's just trying to do everything. I just got greedy. I had I had a, a nice conversation with Mac Powell. We got some kids sponsored with Compassion. People sang along to songs. I should have. I just got to quit you while I'm ahead. Just couldn't quit That's while good. you're ahead. Yeah. All right. We're here with Micah Tyler. Uh, Micah, just a few more questions quickly. Um, what's your songwriting process like? Um, you know, with me living in Texas, it's a little bit different. So on the on the nuts and bolts side of it, um, I you know I. I co-writing is something that I've just really, really loved because you, you kind of get to open up things outside of maybe where your brain would take it. And so I love, I, I'm an idea guy. And so I've got this little file in my phone called the hook book. And if I come up with an idea that I really like, I just throw it in the hook book and I kind of have it in there. I have some voice recordings of like melodies that may have hit me when I'm driving down the road or ideas, or I'll have scripture that I kind of like put in there. Like I heard a sermon and a line really caught me. So I'll throw it in the hook book. And then my job is like just to kind of like marinate on those things until I end up going to Nashville. And so when I show up to Nashville, it's it's been really nice because for me, I, like I'll know who I'm writing with and, and I'll kind of ask questions like, okay, if I've never written with the artist or the writer before, I'll say like, okay, um, what else has this guy written? And I'll look and see like, so Benji Cower is a great example. So a lot of people don't know who Benji is. Well, Benji co-wrote um, I Am Redeemed with Big Daddy Weave. And currently the number one song in the country is Big Daddy Weave's I Know. Um, and Benji co-wrote that one as well. Like he's an incredible writer. And so I know that Benji is really good at pulling these like heartfelt ballads out. And so when it, so I, I go back through my hookbook and go, okay, what kind of fits the parameters of where Benji's at and stuff? So I'll walk in the room with three or four ideas that already kind of have a little bit of teeth and bone in them because I've been thinking about them a whole lot. Um, and so I, I'll go in and write those songs. But for me, I've got two rules when I'm writing music, and this is something I've stood by for the last 10 years. Um, and number one, the number one thing for me, it has to line up with God's Word. Like, I don't want to write anything that I try to manipulate into being like, well, I guess it kind of falls under Scripture. I guess you can interpret it this way. Man, I, I want it to be bulletproof when it comes to, you know, what the Bible says, because if I'm offering anything to anybody that is outside of what God has said is good or God has said is right— I mean, it's not worth it. It's not worth me passing those things off. I don't want to do those things to my own kids, so I want to pass it off to, you know, people, other people in, uh, who have kids that they're passing the songs on to as well. And rule number two is I, I want to make sure that I write songs from personal, like I want songs that came from my eyes, from my heart, from my feet, from things that I've experienced. I, I don't want to write a song that, that, you know, it's kind of from someone else's point of view. Like, I want to make sure that I'm writing things honestly. And here's the deal. I, there's some guys who can write a song on behalf of someone. And it's this really incredible thing. For me, I love, I love at a show where someone comes to me and goes, hey, what did you mean by this line right here? And I can point back to the scripture that lined up with it. But I can also point back to the moment where God proved to me that it was real. 
And I can, I can point back to the memory where God stuffed that song inside of my bones and it's been battle tested and it means something to me because really that it, it helps me carry songs around. I think better as a musician, as a songwriter, as an artist, um, when, when I have something invested, when I got skin in the game here. And so for me that, you know, nuts and bolts, there's, there's a lot of different ways to write a song. You know, sometimes it's melody, sometimes it's lyrics, sometimes it's scripture, sometimes it's an idea, sometimes it's somebody else's idea and I'm able to jump in there and help out with it. But man, at the end of the day, the, the two things that I'm trying to do more than anything is line up with God's scripture and make sure that it lines up with my own life, my own heart and the things that God is allowing me to experience and see. Yeah, you had a quote that I read. It said, these songs are battle-tested, which I thought was fascinating. He said, I want to live the songs yeah. I write. There are some songs I can't write because I haven't lived there yet. And, and, and based on everything you said in that quote, that means you have to be very real and, and honest and in many ways vulnerable in your writing. Is that something that you were always comfortable with? Is it something you had to get comfortable with? Is that a challenge for you to kind of dig within yourself um, and just kind of be very honest and real? Yeah. I, you know, I never want to measure something good with being something comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I, I, ne- I never want those two things to have to be hand in hand because some of the things that are good for us are uncomfortable. It, my daughter hates getting a shot, but when she's sick and she needs a shot and this is what's going to help her the most, we got to get over her comfort to be able to give her what she needs. And so for me, I, listen, I love writing songs about joy. I love those songs. I, I, w- the last couple of years, man, we, we had Hurricane Harvey hit us, and then two weeks after Hurricane Harvey is wrecking our home, um, my younger brother Daniel was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. So we're like, we're walking in the middle of that as I'm writing this new record. Like, this record took me three years to write. Um, but because I, I told the record level, I was like, here's what we're going to do. Number one, I want it to be filled with the influences that influenced me when it comes to songwriting, when it comes to you know, music and just like those kind of things. But also like, I, I want to keep a journal. Like I, I want this to, when this is over with, I want to be able to look back and see a time capsule of the last couple of years of my life. And so there's a song that's on radio right now called Amen. That is a joy monster. Like it is like, it, it is, it's, you know, it just says, I can't get over what you've done for me. Like it, it goes back to that scripture in, uh, in, in Acts chapter four, verse 20, whenever the disciples were kind of getting the heavy right now from the Pharisees telling them like, Hey, you know, Peter and John, like, you guys have to stop. Like, you guys are just going out and telling about Jesus, and it's really disrupting some things. You've got to quit doing that. And they told him, they said, how can we stop talking about the things that we've seen and heard? Mm. And, like, those are the songs that I love writing. So that song was actually written um, right after my brother was told that he was cancer-free. Like, went through 10 months of chemo, got to ring the bell in March of last year, and then we wrote Amen right after that. So that song came out of this overflow of like the joy that we felt in there. But the title track on this new album, probably, I'll say probably, it is the most vulnerable song that I've ever put to a record, that I've ever recorded, that I've, I've, I'm uh, letting out of my own chest to be able to, to share with other people. And the day that we wrote that song, I wrote it, I walked in with a guy named Paul Duncan and a guy named Colby Wedgworth and, and, um, I'd never written with Paul before, but he's an incredible writer. He's written on Lauren Daigle's new record and Jordan Salise's music and stuff. He's awesome. And then Colby and I have, he produced Never Been a Moment and Different from Me. And I've known Colby for a few years now. I love him. And so I just walked in and this was in the middle of, this is right before my brother was about to have an exploratory surgery where he had cancer that had moved from his colon into his lymph nodes, into his stomach lining, into his lungs, possibly in his liver. 
And he had been doing this chemo that was just tearing his body apart for months. And they said, with this exploratory surgery, they're going to take 10 hours and see how much cancer they could see and how the treatments are going. And then they would give us a timetable afterwards. And that may be a timetable of like, hey, he has four months left, or we think we got a lot of it. We got a chance to give him another year and we'll do this again. We just didn't know. So much uncertainty. Um, and so a couple of weeks before that uh, surgery, I went in and wrote to go write a, on a writing trip, walked in with Colby and with Paul, and I just told him, I said, guys, not to be a downer, but just to be honest with you, the song that we write today could possibly be at my brother's funeral. Hmm. Like that, that's just where we were. That's just the, that's real life. That's not me looking outside and going, what would Christian Radio love to hear right now? Who's going to play this song? It was, how can I get these feelings outside of my chest? And, 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 you know, man, the, the, the messages that I get from people about my songs through Facebook or Instagram or like they're emailing me or whatever, those messages are very rarely, man, I was having a great day and I heard your song and my day was still great. Thanks for doing that. <laughs> the messages that I get are, man, I hurt the same way. When you're talking about like you walking through stuff, like, man, I, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time right now. And this kind of made me feel like that someone else understands how I feel. So that day we wrote this song that, that listen, it's, it's still wrapped in hope because it goes back to that scripture in Lamentations where it says that the, the Lord's mercies are made new every morning. And so the whole song is basically me. The, the first verse is I've been hard on myself lately. Every morning I feel the weight. And when it's hard to just get out of bed, tell my heart because sometimes I forget that your mercies are new today because I can rest mm-hmm. on your shoulders. There is grace to start over because your mercies are new today. So it goes back to the things that I know, that I know are true, that I've learned that God's Word says, that I trust and I believe, but also where I actually was in that moment, which is just having a real, real hard time. And so it's it's an important song, and, and we I feel like it's probably the most important song that I have on this album. Um, and, and, and just playing it live a couple times, it, it, it's already like registering with people and, and making people feel like they're not by themselves, which has been it's kind of the goal, man. We've, we've, we've been writing a song trying to fill it with as much hope as we can. And so the fact that we're releasing it in the middle of a global pandemic, which was not the plan, and, and if I'm being honest, kind of felt weird. Like it, it feels weird to release an album in the middle of all this and going like, man, there's way more important things out there than just music getting out. But at the same time, we have tried our hardest for three years to be honest and to present Scripture in a way that lifts up Jesus so he can draw men to himself. That, that points back to the hope that we have in a Savior that knows us and loves us and stands next to us. So why in the world would we not release it in the middle of a time where everybody feels so lonely and everybody feels so beaten down and everybody feels like they just don't have the, – the, they don't know what the next step is going to be. Like why would we not point them towards the one who sits in their homes with them, who drives in their cars with them, who is in those hospitals, who is who is standing on the front lines, who is trying to walk us through this thing, and that we have reason to trust him right now. So, you know, it, it kind of goes back to trying to write songs that look up Scripture and be honest. And so that's that's what we're trying to do with this new album, and that's what we're doing with these songs. Goodness, thank you, Micah. Micah Tyler, uh, MicahTyler.com. Uh, Micah, we're wrapping up here. Uh, you got time for some rapid fire? Hit me. Come on, let's do it. All right, here we go. Chocolate or caramel? Say it again. Chocolate or caramel? 
Oh, I thought you said chocolate or carrots. I thought it was the easiest question in history. <laughs> chocolate. This is a terrible rapid fire. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, okay, we're going with some softballs first. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I would say chocolate, chocolate all the way. Dark chocolate or like a regular? Oh, milk chocolate. Yeah. All right, all right. What's your favorite holiday? Uh, Christmas. Favorite season's fall, but Christmas is just where it's at. All right. What's the last Halloween costume you remember wearing? Uh, I, in 1996, I dressed up as a baseball player on strike because it was the strike <laughs> that was happening in baseball. So I was, I was holding up dollar signs marching in front of houses. Are you a big baseball <laughs> fan? I am. Yeah, yeah. Who are you a fan of? T- t- touchy subject. It's my Houston Astros. They really oh. – we were so proud of them for a few years, and then just a couple of trash cans later, and I don't know how to feel about my life. <laughs> What's something? Uh, what's something you hate that everyone else loves? Okay, I, I don't know if it's loves or not, but can I just tell you one of my phobias and one thing that grosses me out more than anything? Yeah, it's a very normal, mundane thing. Um, I cannot use a paper napkin. Now, hear me out on this. That sounds very bougie. It sounds like I'm, I'm only used to a waiter putting a cloth napkin in my lap. No, 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 no. Like I have learned how to eat very neatly. Even with, with the, just just because one of the, it makes my skin crawl <laughs> for me to see a paper napkin balled up on the table because that is a mystery that I do not want to know what's inside of it. I don't know what that represents. <laughs> it could be it could be a, a myriad of things that make me cringe. And so and so that is one thing that everyone else has no problem with. But if you're ever sitting with me, I will politely just keep my little napkin beside me. Uh, and just continue on the meal, and I'm a very uh, I've learned to adapt to those things. But has yeah, it, that's a that's a little weird weird sidecar there. But there you go. Has it always been that way? Yeah, it was around like I remember like as a kid, like I, I guess I didn't have a problem with it. But like 11 or 12, I remember going to a restaurant and like it was this restaurant we used to always eat at, and like the cold, like the condensation from the cup would like drip onto the napkins. They had cheap napkins. And I think they sort of like, like I'd pick up my cup and like pieces of it would be on there and it would like stick to my finger and it just grossed me out. So I'm, I'm running a good 25 years of not being okay with this. <laughs> I don't know why it is, but you know, luckily there's just not a whole lot of obstacles that get in my way when it comes to that. I, I've, I've been able to just kind of persevere my way. I can use a napkin if it's straight and it's clean. I can use it one time, but as soon as I put it down, I can't touch it again. It's over. That's a little, we're, I love we're really it. ending this uh, interview on a weird note. No, it's yeah, perfect. That's, that's, that's definitely where I'm at. All right. Would you rather climb a mountain or jump from an airplane? Jump out of an airplane all have, day. All right. Have you done that before? I haven't. I've bungee jumped, and I've done, like, I love roller coaster, all that kind of stuff. That's on the list. I, I, you know, once once the quarantine's over with, maybe I'll find a plane that I can actually ride in that'll throw me out. All right. There you go. What type of milk do you drink? Milk? Mm-hmm. Oh, I, you know what? I, in my older age, I have to go with like a, like a vanilla almond milk. All right. Rare, I used to be a whole milk guy growing up, but I'm just, I don't know. Just my, it's just kind of where I'm going now. <laughs> Batman or Superman? <laughs> oh, uh, Superman. He's, he's an actual superhero. All right. How long does it take you to get dressed in the morning? Uh, nowadays, four minutes. Four minutes. <laughs> it's, like, it's just pajamas all day. <laughs> you just roll out and you're dressed for the day. Yeah, I say, if, oh yeah, I'm ready. I guess I'll brush my teeth. <laughs> What's the most useless talent you have? Talent? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So, 
So from working at a uh, – when you work for a sausage delivery company, um, <laughs> the, everything's in, car, in, in cardboard boxes. I am really, really good at opening up cardboard packages. So like when Amazon delivers, I'm really fat. And like my wife just like hands me boxes. And it, like the other day, somebody asked me, like, do you have any weird talents? I was like, no, I don't really have any weird talents. And I, I kind of thought about it for a minute. I couldn't think of anything. And then later that day, like we're moving into this new house. So we're having stuff delivered all the time. And I'm just like tearing these boxes open like really quickly. And my wife goes, well, there's your talent. And so net, this, is, this has now been presented to me. Like this is a weird thing that I can do that I, I learned on the job. Because I'm on the clock. I got I to get that sausage in the, in the store quickly. So you got you got to learn what to do out there do you, in those streets. Do you think ten-year-old Tyler ever would have, excuse me, Michael ever would have ima- imagined you being able to say that when I was driving the the sausage truck, I learned how to do this right here. <laughs> I, I'll tell you this: ten-year-old Micah could wrap his head around that a lot better than me playing music for a living. I'll tell you that for sure. Growing up, what was your favorite TGIF television show? Oh, great question. Uh, you know what? Family Matters was just the, mm. the jam. You want you want to hear something fun though? Family Matters, T, uh, 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 Step by Step, and Full House. The same guy sang all three songs. Really? Yeah. If you listen to, it, you're like oh, step by step that whole thing, and it's you know yeah. it's the same guy's his first name is Jesse. I can't remember his last name, but yeah, fun trivia. Same guy sang all three songs, but that's. Family Matters uh, and Full House was like the Family Matters is probably the jam for TGIF. Yeah, that's gonna win me a free appetizer one day, and I'm gonna give you credit for it. See, there you go. Come All on, right. get chili zone. There you go. And the <laughs> last one, you can only play one of your songs for the rest of your life. Which one do you choose? Oh God, <laughs> um, man, the 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 song that the song that I had written before I got a record, I wrote half of it. And it was just this very, very personal song. It's one that I have been able to play now in coffee shops and in front of 15,000 people in an arena. I have played it um, with kids in a Sunday school classroom, and I have played it, you know, uh, at at award shows. Uh, My song, Different, is one that I I really – I, I wrote very personally, and it meant a whole lot to me when I wrote it, and it still means a whole lot to me now, and it means even more that it means something to other people. That, that was one of those songs that I thought was always kind of going to just kind of stay in the prayer closet, like it was always going to be like a song just for me. Uh, and so the fact that other people feel the same way that I do and that it's been able to be spread around, you know, and, and people are, are using it, and it's been something that's been able to make its way into hospital rooms and uh in cars on the way to divorce court, it's made its way into prisons, it's made its way into the huts of Africa. I've heard so many different stories about the song. Um, that's one that it, it's always been special, and I, 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 I could see myself doing it for a long time. He is Micah Tyler, MicahTyler.com. Micah, you've been a ton of fun today. Thank you so much for being here. Bro, thanks for giving me something to do. Hey, you got it, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to get to hang out and talk to somebody. That's right, that's right. Now it's what been you, a what, great time. Hey, what are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> hey, same time, same place. We'll knock it out. Let's you, get your TGIF questions ready. I'll be ready to rock and roll. <laughs> We're ready to go. Hey, Micah, thanks so much, man. We'll catch you down the road. Sounds great. Thanks, Austin. Thanks, man. You've been listening to Behind the Tunes with Austin Black, produced by Grayson Rucker. You can reach the show at behindthetunes at gmail.com. A special thanks to our sponsors, Visible Music College and Madison Line Records. 
Be sure to tune in next time as we explore the stories behind the tunes with more of your favorite artists.